Hi, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of Fireside Chats, the Roosevelt Group podcast. So for our first episode, I interviewed one of our members, Bethel, about her experience last summer volunteering with Ukrainian refugee children at a daycare in the Czech Republic. Bethel had so much amazing stuff to share, and we go a bit off topic talking about her past experiences with volunteering, but I learned a ton talking to Bethel, and I hope that you learned something too. Stay tuned to see Bethel's article in print in our new Annals publication, which should be coming out very soon, um, which will also be available as a PDF on our website at www.roosevelt-group.org. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Take two. (laughs) Take two. Welcome to Fireside Chats, the Roosevelt Group podcast. This is our very first episode, um, and I'm your host, Ward Kamak, and today I'm joined by Bethel, one of our talented and fascinating members of the Roosevelt Group. Hi, Bethel. Um, So to get us started, can you tell us where you're from, what year you are at St. Andrews, what you study, and do you prefer the beach or the mountains? I am from Denver, Colorado, so I can tell you off the bat, I prefer the mountains. Mm -hmm. I'm a second year doing IR in Arabic, and um, yeah, that's all you asked, right? Um, Yeah, that is what (laughs) I asked. (laughs) What's your favorite mountain? Do you have one? Ooh, Breckenridge Mountain. It's a ski resort. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you ski a lot? Yeah. Nice. Quite a bit. Nice. I've never gone skiing, and I feel like I need to. I started off snowboarding, and most people I know start off snowboarding Mm because they think it's cool, but I recommend skiing. Okay. Yes, and I recommend in Colorado, too. Okay. Why Colorado? Just because it's your state? Just because it's my home. Mm. (laughs) I haven't skied anywhere else, but... Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's so beautiful. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I'll have to get someone to teach me how to ski first, <laughs> and then I'll maybe I'll make my way over. You can pick it up. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so to get down to the questions, you wrote a really beautiful article for our first new analysis publication of the 2022-2023 year about your summer volunteering with Ukrainian refugee children in the Czech Republic. So the first thing I'm wondering is how did you find this opportunity? So my mother's side of the family is Polish and Czech, and we have a lot of distant relatives in the East of Czech Republic. Um, One of my distant cousins married a woman who kick-started this daycare for Ukrainian children. Um, I visited them back in February of last year, so February 2022, um, when Russia had first invaded Ukraine. Um, And it was a pretty emotional time for this side of the family So they asked me to come back this summer um, and help out. She just needed an extra pair of hands for the daycare. She wanted to practice her English. She wanted her kids to pick up English. And she wanted these Ukrainian kids to be exposed to English. So Mm -hmm. she thought having me on board would be helpful. Okay. So, okay. So then let's get into, like, tell us about what you were doing. What did a day in the life look like for you this summer? So a day in the life, we would get up and she would normally head to the daycare in the morning. She was head of all of this. So she had a lot of um, administration work to do, a lot of paperwork to do. So I would stay with her two kids at home. um, And then we would go to the daycare. We would meet the Ukrainian children there and the Ukrainian families there. Um, We would normally get there around lunchtime. And they had made an effort to cook all Ukrainian dishes for these kids. Uh, They thought it was so important to kind of 
um, teach them their own culture and um, keep it alive and well, even in the Czech. So we would get there. We'd usually have pohanka, which is a Ukrainian dish. Um, throughout the day, we would sing Ukrainian and Czech songs. We would read Czech story, like fairy tales. Um, we'd play outside. Every now and then, we would do fundraising opportunities in the town for the Ukrainian families because we were working with mothers, um, helping them find jobs, helping them figure out how to get their kids into school come fall. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty enjoyable that I just got to play around with these kids a lot. Yeah. That was mostly my day to day. Do you have a lot of experience working with kids? Yeah. I come okay. from a big family and throughout high school I was nannying and babysitting and mm -hmm. working in daycare. So something so I'm comfortable prepared. with. Yeah. yeah. So how old were the kids that you were working with this summer? The youngest was, I think, three years old. Mm -hmm. um, and the oldest was 12. So it was quite a range. That is a range. Yeah. Wow. And then were they spoken to in Czech or Ukrainian most of the time? That's interesting because Czech and Ukrainian are similar but different. I can imagine it's like... Um, us con conversing with Spanish speakers is you can pick up some words mm -hmm. and you can tell because they're both Slavic languages there's a lot of similarities mm -hmm. so they were spoken to in Czech and Ukrainian mostly Czech because a lot of the um, the biggest purpose of this daycare was to help these Ukrainian kids integrate into Czech society mm -hmm. and um, learn the Czech language and get into Czech schools so they wanted to speak Ukrainian to them to make them comfortable um, they wanted them to keep Ukrainian live a well and live in a well, but um, Czech was definitely the primary language spoken there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So I guess like to your point of how they wanted the kids to then transition into Czech schools, it's kind of like a project of longevity, right? right. They're right. not really planning to. Right. I guess it just kind of reflects like or moves along as the war moves along, right? Yeah, it was. It's kind of sad in a way that they kind of knew they were establishing a life there. Mm -hmm. And going back to Ukraine was almost impossible. Mm -hmm. um, but there were some mothers who would go back. Uh, I knew one mother who I got pretty close with. She went back to Ukraine to meet her husband there. Um, but it, it was kind of set in stone that the kids probably wouldn't be back for a few years, mm -hmm. which is something hard to deal with. Yeah. But yeah, most of the initiative was to get these kids integrated into Czech mm -hmm. society and Czech schools. Did you interact with the parents ever? Sort of. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. It was hard because not a lot of them spoke English and it was hard for me to pick up any Czech or Ukrainian, but um, kids are easy to converse with anyways if you don't speak the same language, but um, speaking with the adults, I normally needed a translator. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Um, so you said your mom's side of the family is from the Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. When did that side of the family like come to the States? We have distant relatives there still. So I think one of my great, great grandparents came out to the States and established a life there. My distant great uncle, um, is kind of the patriarch of the family over there and we're related. It's kind of complicated, but. We have some very distant relation. Mm -hmm. I have a second cousin out there too, 
it was technically my host father. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're kind of, we're distant, we're distant relatives. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So were you living like with the woman who runs the daycare Mm -hmm. and her husband? Mm -hmm. And they have two kids. kids. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, So something I thought was really interesting from your article is where you describe it. You say the town Polichka is frozen in the Soviet era. Communist blocks still house most of the population and frugality is practiced in food consumption, household chores, and transportation. Understandably, it is a society traumatized. Mm -hmm. So what was your experience having grown up in the U.S. upon entering this kind of cultural environment? That's a good question. I guess coming from the U.S. and spending a while anywhere in Europe is pretty interesting, but you kind of go beyond these touristy areas and you spend time in a more Eastern European area, and it's a bit of a shock in that there's not a lot of English being spoken um, you're seeing these remnants of World War II and Russian occupation, um, and you're seeing an attempt to kind of keep this really ancient history alive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a strange blend, I guess, is what I saw, versus, like, being an American kid in other parts of Europe. Um, it was pretty untouched history, and it was pretty beautiful beautiful towns and beautiful cities you're seeing and this was a little this was a little more heartbreaking you could see kind of the detrimental effects of Soviet Union it was just a little more real Mm -hmm. to me yeah yeah did you how much like historical basis did you have going into this none I'm still learning but Mm -hmm. not a lot wow yeah yeah I mean it's it's amazing how much we don't like we're not taught as Americans I know because I just took this class last semester um, about Stalinism and Nazism in Central Europe in, like, the first half of the 20th century. And I learned yep. so much that yep. I had no idea about. And, like, we're just not taught it. You know, it's like yep. if you're going to learn this stuff, you have to go onto the Internet or go to the library and figure it out for yourself. Yep. But I think it's, like, such a – it's a really, really sad but also a really fascinating part totally. of history to learn about. Yeah. Um. So were there any cultural norms or habits in Polichka that you took away with you? That's such a good question. I guess I've always grown up in a very frugal family. um, And after living in Polichka, I wanted to, I wanted to be even more frugal. Mm -hmm. Um, They're really resourceful. They're really creative. Um, they really stick with their traditions. They are a very traditional community, and they integrate their traditions into their everyday life, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to get swept up in kind of hustle culture, but they're very, most of Europe, I have learned, um, kind of knows how to live slow, and especially in Polichka, I saw it quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. So what are some examples of those traditions? Cooking. I was being cooked for three times a day, Um, all traditional Czech dishes. Mm. Breakfast was koblihi, which were these tiny little kind of donuts with homemade marmalade in them. Yeah, and we would go to the forest and pick blueberries and I think raspberries and blackberries, and we would make marmalade out of them. And then we would make these little koblihi and have those for breakfast. Um, And I grew up on, like, ego waffles, so that was 
super interesting to like mm-hmm. put a lot of effort into your food every day. And then for lunch, um, my host mom would cook me fish and potatoes and we'd have locally brewed beer. And for dinner, she would get from the butcher a big chunk of like pork shoulder and she would just do something really delicious with it. And they were all traditional Czech dishes. She really wanted me to, um, she really wanted me to experience Czech cuisine. Yeah. So it was that cool. That is amazing. Yeah. They put a lot into it. Yeah. Yeah. Their drinking culture is interesting too. Like along those same lines is mm-hmm. you start drinking at like noon or two and it's just slower drinking and you just sit outside and, um, it's just slower. It's slower. So are you like constantly buzzed from like Oh my gosh, yeah. On? She would like set down this beautiful plate of fish and potatoes for lunch and then this huge pint of like beer. And I was like, <laughs> I'm watching your kids. You really want me to have beer? She's like, it's fine. It's it's like how we have lunch here. And I was like, okay. That's so yeah, interesting. It was interesting. Wow. Yeah. I like I read something over break, or maybe my mom was telling me about this book about how like society used to before like water was clean Mm -hmm. people were just drinking Mm -hmm. all the time and that's like kind of how we have the drinking cultures we have today Mm -hmm. so maybe i do think it's like a holdover from that kind of definitely Mm -hmm. it's got to be um yeah i've i've read that too it used to be ale or like yeah or like wine yeah and then kids (laughs) would drink it too it's kind of crazy yeah yeah i mean it's got to be it's got to be a result of centuries of drinking like that Mm -hmm. everyday drinking yeah and it's just um it's also different from uk drinking you see kind of like rowdier drinking here Mm -hmm. and it was just like really mellow in the czech yeah i don't know how to explain it but it was appreciate that yeah (laughs) really relaxed drinking and the intent wasn't to get you know super drunk it was to really unwind and Mm -hmm. it was nice that's so interesting yeah it was nice wow that's that reminds me like another thing from this book is how I also just listened to on Audible. So I don't know if I could say I read it, but it counts. Yeah, it, like, I think it has, does. counts. But um, Michael Pollan, do you know him? Mm-mm. He's a journalist and he just wrote this book. It came out, I think, last year, the year before called This Is Your Mind on Plants. And he basically like looks at um, I think it's like caffeine, mescaline and one other drug. Oh, opium. Okay. And like the effects uh, that it has on your brain, but also the history of these drugs. And he looks at how once, um, and I think he talks some about like the consumption of alcohol Mm -hmm. in societies before water was safe to drink. And he observes how once water was safe to drink and once caffeine came in as like a means of, of consumption in like Western societies, that's when modernization really kicked in mm-hmm. because people weren't drunk all mm-hmm. the time. They were caffeinated. caffeinated. They were ready to go. And it, they were just like, their brains were just working in different ways. So I just think that's so interesting. That's yeah, a fun little tangent. It is. Um, yeah, that's so cool. Um, so, okay. So I'm wondering, you use the phrase past and modern day Russian aggression so can you tell us a little bit more about the two different approaches to what you call the past in modern day russian aggression in your article can you put it in context a little more i can't remember um what i was referring to i can find the article oh i'm Um, sorry no you're fine totally through past in modern aggression i i think i can wait Mm. okay 
think I remember what I was writing it about. Okay, you say, um, the blend of progression and sacred history in Czech politics is a topic of debate within the Czech Republic. Ultimately, fiscal conservatism, resistance via the preservation of culture, and supporting refugees are thematic elements of the two vastly different approaches within Polichka to past and modern-day Russian aggression. Yeah. So it was really interesting to see the residual effects of Soviet rule in this part of Czech Republic and to see the response now to this influx of Ukrainian refugees in the East. Um, I was living with a family that had a lot of sympathy for these refugees and they wanted to do everything they could to play their part. But um, there was also a lot of, I don't know how to say this nicely, but a lot of cold shoulder towards these refugees from the rest of Polichka just because they are really, like I said, frugal and fiscally conservative, and they are living with um, some pretty <laughs> traumatic history after mm-hmm. Soviet u- invasion. So um, I was m- making a parallel between those two. I was making a parallel okay. between Soviet aggression and then current Russian aggression. Gotcha. Yeah. So the sentiments of the people running this daycare were not common to the town. Right, exactly. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of a fight to get it up and running. And mm-hmm. it was a fight to get these kids, Ukrainian kids, into Czech schools. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just a belief that there wasn't enough to go around, which was a really interesting se- sentiment towards refugees, but nothing that we're not used to seeing in the States, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, in a way, I don't know. How, it's a little more understandable because it's such contemporary history, and it was so new. Um the relinquishing of the Czech Republic back to the Czechs from the Soviets is so new, and I think they have a right to be a little more concerned. Um, but it was still sad to see. It's it's really hard to see. Mm-hmm. Just how do you how do you aid both sides of the story in this? Yeah, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, people in Ukraine are also traumatized by. Totally. Soviet occupation. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So it's two sides of the same situation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. People become really immersed in their own community and really concerned for their own well-being, which is totally understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, we've kind of grown up seeing like, I don't, I don't know what it's like for you, but you kind of grow up seeing this American sentiment towards refugees and this American first sentiment. And it's different from... I don't think that's a fair sentiment. It's different from Eastern Europeans who are just concerned about their sovereignty and their economics. It, it, I have more sympathy for them mm-hmm. just because, you know, it's so new. They were so, um, yeah, they yeah. were occupied for a while and so recently. So, yeah, it's interesting to see. It's interesting, too, thinking about, like, the vocabulary we use in the States mm-hmm. because we don't say – refugees mm-hmm. if you're referring to people mm-hmm. immigrating from yep. Mexico or South America or you or say yeah immigrants yeah or yeah. some terms that are not politically yeah, correct absolutely and it's like everybody's just trying to have a better life yeah and find a safe place to live absolutely but I think it's interesting how the the words that we choose to use as a society frames the way that we absolutely view these groups absolutely so um sorry were you gonna no say that's okay. okay yeah I think we 
hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. I kind of, yeah. Um, so how big is the town of Polichka and where in, okay, do you say Czech Republic or the Czech Republic? I say all, I can't really decide, so I jump from Czechia to Czech Republic to the Czech, so I don't think, okay. I don't know which one is right, but I kind of just, I say Czech Republic mostly. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So where in Czech Republic is Polichka situated? It's east, very east of Czech Republic, so it's about three-hour train ride outside of Prague, Okay, um, just directly east, and it's about 9,000 people living there. It's okay. pretty small. Um, Is it, like, comparable to St. Andrews, would you say? I would say, yeah. Okay. I would think so. There's, like, a town, there's a main center, and there's a kind of suburby area, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was there, like, to do? Nothing. Nothing. Were um, you just, were there any other people your age? No, and if there were, they didn't speak English. Oh, true. <laughs> so it was hard. Um, I would bike a lot. I went to bike. It's in the countryside, which is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I would just go bike out in the countryside. Um, we would go berry picking a lot, It was, which was really sweet to do with the kids. Yeah, that's so nice. We would just go hiking a lot. Yeah, I got to catch up on some reading because there was basically nothing to do when I yeah. wasn't working. But wow, I love that. Yeah. How many hours a day were you working? Um, seven, about seven. Okay. Seven hours a day just with the kids. Yeah. Situation. Yeah. Wow. And then how many months were you there for? Uh, okay. So I was there for about two months, Mm -hmm. end of June to September. Yeah. Oh, so you, did you go home at all between then and coming to school? I went home the beginning of June. Okay. For a few months. And then I went from here to see my sister in Italy. I mean, from Czech to Italy to St. Andrews. So wow, it was a busy summer. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. I bet. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so something I'm wondering, working with these kids, is did the employees and yourself working at the daycare, did you have any training for working with children coming from like a war, an area that was in war? No which is super interesting and um, something that my host mom, Hanka, was really pushing for was more funding from the town itself. Um, These kids, it's hard to say this, but I think they got out at a, they got out from this situation pretty early. So they didn't, um, of course it's traumatizing to have to leave your home, but um, they were out pretty safe and they were bouncing around different parts of Czech from for about a year for about a year until they settled mm-hmm. in Polichka. So at the beginning of the Russian invasion they were out of there. Um, no, there wasn't there wasn't really any training, which was hard, but it was pretty underfunded. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. W- were there so you said that they all kind of got out before the war actually started. Are there do you know of kids who are still coming in to this daycare? That's such a good question. The daycare itself isn't running anymore because it was meant to be a place during the summer when school wasn't happening okay. for parents to drop their kids and go job hunt or mm-hmm. um, figure things out back in Ukraine. But now I'm pretty sure most of them are settled into school Um I don't think there's a big influx anymore okay. of these kids. That's something I should follow up with. But Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that it'll turn into a daycare again next summer? That's a good question. 
I think so. It really depends on how many more Ukrainians keep coming into Czech, but I can imagine so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that that's something you would want to go back in? Yeah. Really? Definitely, next summer too? Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. That's so like admirable. Do you have experience with a bunch of community service and stuff from high school maybe? I guess. I think, I don't know how your high school was, but you had required community service hours. Mm -hmm. So I guess kind of like that. I always, I liked, I wanted to volunteer. Um, There just wasn't a lot of opportunities in my town because it was a, there wasn't a lot of, um, it was a pretty affluent town. Mm -hmm. Um, I lived in Denver though with my dad for a while and I witnessed the wave of fentanyl and the wave of the opioid crisis in Denver. Mm -hmm. And so my family and I had made an effort to reach out to the community there. And we did a lot of, um, we made a lot of meals and we did a lot of coffee kind of stands Mm -hmm. um, in our front yard because we had people sleeping on our front yard and stuff. We just were witnessing a big um, crisis right right in our hometown. Um, so that's the most experience I have is really working with people one-on-one, not with, not through like any organization, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, individually, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I feel like sometimes that's how you get more hands-on experience is I agree. if you just yeah. roll you just up your see sleeves. your neighbors need help and you just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Roll up your sleeves and you and you help them out. So, yeah. yeah. So I want to hear more about this like fentanyl crisis in is it just in Denver or all across Colorado? No, I think this opioid crisis is huge right now um, throughout the states. Yeah. I don't know what you saw in Tennessee, but most big cities in the states are are dealing with this opioid problem. And I think I, I don't know very well, but I think a lot of it has to do with the decriminalization of a lot of drugs. So we see it in Portland, too. Mm-hmm. We see it in Denver. I know a lot of southern cities aren't doing well. Um, but opioid users that are living on the streets, that's a hard enough thing as it is. Mm-hmm. But there's been this influx of fentanyl from um, illegal trading systems, illegal trafficking and of these really dirty drugs that are getting into regular users' supply, and it's just devastating. Mm-hmm. It's killing people instantly, and um, if you do survive fentanyl, which most people aren't intentionally taking fentanyl, yeah, um, you're, you're kind of hooked, and it's as dangerous as heroin. I mean, it is synthetic heroin. Mm-hmm. So, isn't fentanyl, like, is it the one where if it's even like a grain of sand, like it you're dead? It will kill you, yeah. Wow. There's been incidents of um, first aid responders who will approach somebody who's overdosed on fentanyl. They don't mm-hmm. know that they've overdosed on fentanyl, and they'll touch them or shake them, and they have a reaction too. It's not as really deadly. It's not like an overdose, but um, you can go unconscious or you can your heart can stop beating. For it's really scary stuff. Seriously, like being that close to someone who has mm-hmm. it in their body. Mm-hmm. That is so scary. It's crazy. It's really heartbreaking. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So when you were, volu- how old were you when you were volunteering? In Denver. Yeah, in Denver. I started around 16 when I started to kind of wrap my head around, like, I grew up witnessing a lot of people living on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always sad to me, but I grew up realizing, oh, it it's also underlined by a mental health and a drug 
drug abuse problem mm-hmm. and I it got to me for some reason um, and there's not a lot you can do with as a 16 year old there's not a lot you yeah. can do when you see somebody who's dependent on drugs and um, has kind of given their life for drugs the best you can do is just offer some love and some compassion mm-hmm. and I talked about it with my family a lot and it was just really hard I mean we were getting a really really up up close view of what this drug crisis was doing in Denver we lived right in the heart of Denver mm-hmm. and we decided I mean what else can you do besides bring them warm food and sit with them for a minute so yeah yeah my parents were kind of the facilitators of that but yeah yeah so were you you had people sleeping on your in your yard yeah we had some run-ins with people digging through our garbage or they would be passed out on our yard whether it was because they were you know high out of their mind Mm -hmm. or they were just really unaware of their surroundings which is really hard to see as well um and the police are somewhat defunded now in denver so uh, I remember calling. There was a man who was rolling into the street once. I think he was, he had probably just taken something. And he was going to get himself run over, and I called the police, and it went to voicemail. Whoa. Um, and we've had people who have, like, been unconscious in our back alley, and, you know, we yeah. were like, it's probably a drug overdose. And um, as as hard as it is, there's no, there's not a lot of, first aid response coming quick enough mm-hmm. um so yeah I mean the best you can do is really just offer them food mm-hmm. yeah which is hard wow. but and are there any kind of like organizations now in Denver to yeah. help with that there's one big organization called harm reduction center which harm reduction is a new method when you're approaching this opioid problem too it sounds counterproductive but you're providing clean spaces for people to use and you're providing, I'm sure you've heard of these needle exchange programs. No, what's that? They're big in California. Um, drug users, they will repeatedly use needles to inject themselves with a drug. Yeah. Uh, which you're only supposed to use a needle once and throw it away and yeah. they become infected and they lose limbs and Whoa. they become septic and they get really sick from it. So this new program, um, it's because they're, they're so desperate to use again. They'll just use the same needles. So mm-hmm. this program um, provides clean needles, which is, I mean, it sounds counterproductive, but it's the best you can do. Yeah. Um, and they provide clean spaces. They provide testing kits so you're not, so you can test for fentanyl in your drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think it's a pretty creative way to move forward with this because you have users who are going to use no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um you can't just say we're going to fix addiction and we're going to fix this problem now. And it's not band-aiding the issue. I mean, the best you can do is provide services and provide clean spaces for these people to use safely. I think, um, it'll be interesting to see how it works out, how harm reduction works out, but that's a big one in Denver. Now the harm Mm -hmm. reduction center. That's super interesting. Do you think that people, there's anybody who might like take advantage of that? Definitely. Mm-hmm. I think so. Absolutely. I guess that's part of the risk, right? That's part of the risk. Yeah. Do you mean like users who would take advantage of it? Yeah. yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, the point is kind of we like they want these users to come in and use cleanly and um, test their drugs so they're not ODing on the streets. Yeah. It really does seem counterproductive, but. Do you think it helps though? 
I don't know. It's too. I think it's too early to say. Okay. When did it start? It's pretty new. I would say probably two years ago. Oh wow. Yeah. 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 That'll my be mom, interesting to watch yeah. over time. My mom that. is a nurse practitioner, and she works in the heart of Denver too, um, at a clinic, and she kind of runs it. And this is the biggest thing she's seeing too: is people coming in with. Um, sick blood or infected limbs from reusing she does really incredible work too she's she's working really hard but you're kind of at a loss and you're like what's the next step the Mm -hmm. first step is to prevent overdoses and um infected limbs and it's gruesome but yeah Mm -hmm. yeah wow that is fascinating but also really alarming and really sad because i know i know it's an issue yeah pretty much everywhere yeah and in any urban center Mm -hmm. I feel like it's so publicized not publicized but like I feel like it's best known in what we call like the rust belt yes you know are you Um, talking like the Appalachian region yeah 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 and also because of um what was it hillbilly elegy I loved that book yeah did you read it yeah did you like it I loved it it was amazing sad but yeah yeah it's an interesting pattern like these blue collar workers who hurt themselves on their job and then they get prescribed this opioid and then it kind of spirals. It's interesting how different demographics come into this drug use and this drug dependency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting. Have you watched dope sick? I watched like two episodes of it. Okay. I I watched it it with my parents, like just an episode or two and I really want to get back into it. Yeah. Because I'm, watch I'm watching Breaking Bad right now. It's <laughs> another Very, kind of educational. I know it's like on theme with video. our convo now. Um, I know it's like I feel like I've learned so much and yeah. not necessarily about anything like good or productive or legal, but I think it's really interesting how like there's a character in Breaking Bad who um, wants to cook meth so that it's clean meth. Yeah, for all the like. Users, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it's super bizarre. And I first heard about harm reduction and wanting to promote clean drugs, and I was in the same boat as a lot of people. Like, what you're like, you're literally supplying clean drugs, Mm -hmm. but the issue is that drugs are there no matter what, people Mm -hmm. are going to use them no matter what. The issue is the fentanyl in them, yeah, it's just so dirty and it's so dangerous, it's really, really dangerous. So, Yeah. yeah, but it's it's bizarre, like. It is. The wanting to cook clean meth is like, yeah, that seems counterproductive, but Mm -hmm. yeah. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. But I'm obsessed with Breaking Bad, but I I want to continue the theme, but maybe like watch the other side of the story next time. Um, So with your like kind of background and experience in these community service, like help, helpful type experiences, do you want to move forward maybe like after university in that same vein? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. I think I would love to work internationally. Um, my degree is IR in Arabic, so I'm naturally drawn to war-torn countries that have issues with human women's and human's rights. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so important to do work in your own community too and to stick to where you come from. So as much as I love to spend time abroad and globally, um, I'm really am interested in effective legislation with opiate policy back in Denver. Like I'd really love to go home and 
see some change being made and see do a lot of research on what will actually work to help curb this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely something in a broader sense I want to continue outside of university. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. I feel like, in a sense, Denver is a, a good place to do that because mm-hmm. you said they decriminalized a lot of stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. And I feel like in opposition, like I'm from Nashville and Nashville is so anti drug. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they just le- like the most legal thing we have is um, Delta 8. Really? THC. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like CBD, but that's it. And yeah. so I'm like, if effective legislation, kind of in the sense that what you're talking about, like mm-hmm. actually helping people and helping current users rather yeah. than just like putting them in jail yeah. and trying to like stop stop drugs when drugs are always going to be there. Yeah. I feel like that's not really something that's going to move forward Yeah. Um, as quickly as might be good in the South. Yeah. But I feel like Denver is a, a place where you could actually yeah. have a lot of success It's a different that. political demographic. I mean, mm-hmm. Denver is a pretty purple state. And what is Tennessee now? Is it totally red? red. I mean, the cities are blue. Yeah. But the state itself is red. Yeah, but that's yeah. so effective on policy and legislation mm-hmm. like when it's red it's going to be you're going to be seeing red laws and yeah yeah totally so yeah it's interesting you have a pretty flexible demographic to work with in denver and like you said like a lot of users in denver are people of colors minorities um and in tennessee and it, more in the east it's this appalachian demographic mm-hmm. so you have to cater like both demographics need certain catering and yeah it's not a a blanket legislation it's there's a lot of um there's a lot more to consider behind that so yeah yeah totally yeah that's so interesting so okay I guess just kind of to wrap up I have loved this conversation we went off a tangent I know (laughs) I just have learned so much today we really jumped around but I love it yeah we covered like all my favorite topics totally I just learned so much about you good um so Coming back to your volunteering in Politchka, what is something that you want everyone who reads your article, which will be out in print next week? Yay. Stay tuned, everyone. <laughs> Come to our launch party. <laughs> Check out our Instagram to find out more about that. Um, so what is something that you want everyone who reads your article and listens, and listens to this podcast episode to understand about what you have written about? What I wrote about um, specifically was how politics are affected in Czech, um, small town politics and bigger politics and how it affects individuals and then how it affects the greater European Union. Um, It was such a, it's not a domino effect, but it's all connected. And um, it's something I learned a lot was how interconnected it is and how important it is to consider these really recent histories in electing your officials and creating legislation um, so that's kind of what I touched on was just the, um, the parallels between Russian invasion today and Russian invasion and the Czech and in, in the Eastern Republic in Eastern Europe, you know, 30 years ago. So I think it's just consider important to consider that history when you're looking at modern politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then for anyone listening who doesn't know, what are like the exact periods of Soviet occupation in the Czech Republic? I can never remember exact years, but I know that in 89, I think, was the Velvet Revolution. So they relinquished, the Soviets relinquished Czech um, 
back to the Czechs in 89. I think they invaded in 68. I can't remember. I can Google it. 60s, <laughs> I want to say. Um, I should probably know, but... Um, Here's the beauty of the internet at right? my fingertips. Um, okay, 1968, yeah, was when it started. Yeah. And then... 1993, Czechoslovakia split into the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Yes. So, so Czechoslovakia gained independence in 89, gotcha. I think. But there was a split between Slovakia and Czech in 93. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It yeah, says yeah. Velvet Revolution of 1989 yeah. brought a non-communist government to power. Mm -hmm. And then do you think, like, right after that, the pendulum kind of swung and it, it became conservative? I think so. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. I think so. Because they're, they're conservative people, but they're not. You know, they're pretty frugal, but they're not, um, yeah. Are they socially liberal or, soci or socially conservative? Mm, I don't know. I was kind of interested in the economics. I would say socially liberal. Okay. I would think. I couldn't tell you, but yeah, from what I saw, that would be my theory, my yeah. assumption. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to talk about still? No. Okay. I'm so impressed with your interviewing. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> it's my first time. <laughs> it was so great. Yeah, I'm so glad. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Bethel. Thank you, Ward. It has been so much fun talking to you. Um, and I hope that all of you listening learned a lot. Uh, don't forget to check out our website, www.roosevelt-group.org and our social media at The Roosevelt Group on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Bye. Bye.